0: Hi, you've found The Bomb Podcast. For streaming videos, web-exclusive interviews, and more, check out bombsite.com. In today's podcast, painter and sculptor Lorenzo
1: Pace is interviewed by poet Patricia Spears-Jones in front of a live audience at the New York Academy of Art on November 9th, 2005.
0: We're on shaky grounds.
1: Well, the stage is not shaky, but (laughs) definitely are. Can you talk a little bit about how you came to sculpture as opposed to painting or watercolors or photography or anything else?
0: Well, um, from Chicago, I was uh, one day sitting on the beach and uh, talking. There's a
1: beach in Chicago.
0: Yes. we have it called the big the lake friendly, uh, and so hanging out with some friends of mine and uh, one, one guy was caught was carving the uh, last supper and uh, asked him what was he doing, and he told me that he was making this piece, just really admired the way he was really into this piece and and so I went home and um, I went to a friend of mine 's house, and he had a piece of wood on the fireplace and it had some tools, carving tools. And so I began to carve. And it was a spontaneous kind of process. I just started and started exhibiting the pieces on the streets in Chicago.
1: How old were you? Oh. It couldn't have been that long ago. <laughs> uh,
0: my early 20s, like uh-huh. 21, 22, something okay.
1: like that. One thing that we do share. We both grew up in Church of God and Christ households. Yes. So yours was much more intense than mine, and uh, so did some of the religiosity of this. Since he was carving the Last Supper, did that? Yeah. You think they have something to do with it?
0: Very much so. Uh, my father's a minister, a bishop in the church, and uh, and throughout my work, you're gonna see religious icons mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. An the installation I did at the Studio Museum, and it says Jesus Saves on it, mm-hmm. and. Uh, a part of my mummification series, yeah. Um, I can't get, seem to get away from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm accustomed to seeing people shouting and clapping and tamarines and drums. and So it comes through the work. Yeah. It, it just comes through the work.
1: For people who don't know uh, what the Church of God in Christ is, it, it's a Pentecostal church yes. as opposed to fundamental which means that it's really about the, the charisma, the charismatic nature of religion. If you grew up in that church, you don't, no matter what happens to you, you do not forget it. Yes. There's just, just no way. So, cause it's incredibly ritualized. Yes. So, and I can see that coming through. So you talked about the mummification. Can you talk a little bit about how you came to that?
0: I Basically grew up in Chicago from Alabama, mm-hmm. originally, uh, Birmingham and, um, so one day, I went to the, went to the uh, Museum of Science and Industry, which is a very large institution. Mm. And they house the uh, Tutankhamen exhibition. Right. And I was totally blown away by this exhibit. Mm. And so after coming back from the exhibit, I came up with the idea of mummification. And then, that's when I really began to get into performers. My first performance piece was at the Art Institute of Chicago, where I wrapped up the president of the Art Institute, as well as the NBC News anchor person.
1: Okay. As
0: well as the uh, director of the uh, institute. You so, must
1: have been young. <laughs> so <laughs> I really got into the young. whole
0: process of rapping. Wow. And so I guess the next 10 years, I was just used the whole rapping process and mummified. I even mummified myself. Um, wait a minute. How did you do that? <laughs> it's a whole two-hour performance piece mm-hmm. where I... Uh, Wrapped up. Uh, now I, I became a kind of like a spirit of Tutankhamun, mm-hmm. and uh, I took on the role of the Tutankhamun, and uh, so uh, so the performance piece led into the actual installation and wrapping.
1: This is, I know that you are an art educator, and you've been very much involved in the study of African, you know, cultural systems and stuff. This was looking at Egypt the beginning of that? How did...
0: Yeah, actually, it started me beginning to start looking at African art. Mm -hmm. I began to study uh, African. I also began to look at the painters, uh, Picasso, who was influenced by icons of African sculpture. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but uh, then I began to get into the whole Egypt, uh, uh, Egypt Egyptology, in terms of what the whole ritualized process they use. So it kind of Coincide with my church experience, mm-hmm. so uh, it was kind of like a dual process for me. You know? I began get into this whole performance aspect uh, that really, I thought was indigenous to my upbringing. You know,
1: did you have a, a, a sort of posse that you worked with? Did you have a bunch of friends, colleagues, peers at that point that were? who are also artists and stuff. Yeah, I mean... Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Because when I was looking around for information about you, there's sort of the broad outlines of your biography, but not many details. Yeah, So,
0: well, uh, in 1982, I moved to uh, New York with a very beautiful colleague of mine, Noah Jimson, who was sitting in the audience, mm-hmm. uh, who was also very involved. In the New York scene at the time, uh, uh, dealing with uh, performance pieces as well as installation. Mm -hmm. And David, uh, David Hammonds, uh, also Tyrone Mitchell, Charles Searles, Mm -hmm. all the artists that I, you know, we hung out. Mm -hmm. Just had great times of, I collaborated with. Noah Jemison uh, at the Studio Museum of Harlem mm-hmm. back in the early when the Studio Museum first opened and mm-hmm. the new, new space. Mm-hmm. So uh, these were some of the colleagues that you know I had to look and was inspired by
1: mm-hmm.
0: really uh, when I moved here to New York.
1: Okay. You know. Did you feel like when you guys were all working together that you were getting the kind of su- sort of support from the community or the critical support that you needed? To do these things, or were you doing a lot of other things to make that well,
0: happen? Well, uh, s- s- sorry to say, for uh, the process for African American artists in New York, it's not has not been a really supportive environment, mm-hmm. and more or less had to s- kind of out there in the woods, struggle by yourself, kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I know Al uh, Loving and uh, Benny Andrews were out there trying to make a difference to for inclusion and diversity in the arts mm-hmm. has not been a really diverse kind of process here in the city. So basically the artist has kind of like but out there struggling alone
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, trying to continue to do the work but uh, very little acknowledgement.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, so uh, I think that That's a part of the struggle of an artist, anyway. True. But you keep doing your work, and Mm -hmm. that's not—you do the work because that's what you want to do. This is in your heart. It's in your, in your being. Mm -hmm. I'm sure when you write poetry, it's not for uh, getting some kind of acknowledgement.
1: Oh, I would love acknowledgement. I really would. <laughs> and money too you know it's I mean not it, happen. It, it would be nice to get some bread <laughs> right before you leave yeah. you know
0: yeah. but uh, that is not the essence of why you do the work no, you, you do the work because you love it it's yes. something that uh, is in your soul in your being i think that's the struggle of an artist uh, not only in new york but throughout the world is the fact that you have to sometime work out there in the, in the wilderness and hopefully at some point Before you leave the planet, they say, "Oh, wow, you've been doing some good work."
1: (laughs) (laughs) And they do. But nine times
0: out of ten, it happens until you leave the planet, you know.
1: Um, I just saw some of bits and pieces of the the installations in your in your studio. In fact, he has this incredible. I mean, I felt like I was having deja vu all over again. His a studio in Williamsburg. But it reminded me of when I first came to New York and people had, you know, actual lofts in Soho, remember back in those days. And you actually had to get people to throw down the keys so they could get you into the building. (laughs) And it was kind of like that. And I was like, oh, they still have those kind of things in New York. (laughs) So uh, and one of the uh, pieces that I really liked was part of an installation that looks like almost like a gateway or a portal into some other space. Uh, it, you know i don't think that's what it's meant to be, but it 's what it looks like to me uh-huh with the two sort of slender
0: oh right 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 that's that 's the uh, the installation at the Museum of Contemporary art in chicago mm-hmm. and uh it 's based on the mummification where you had two wooden structures, part of it is wrapped with sand
1: and uh, what is that called
0: uh mummification oh. m- mummification series three
1: you oh know. you're one of those like i have one word and then i use it over and over <laughs> it's a series i mean okay. i worked on
0: the mummification for at least 10 years okay just doing mummification and rapping and, mm. rapping, and
1: rapping all right so what happens to these these installations once they're
0: they can de- decommission yeah
1: <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. just hopefully somebody come along and buy one okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is very rare for an installation artist that's true you know, who wants to buy an installation piece?
1: Oh, there's
0: uh, some people who do. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. That. But
1: now, since you've done all these installations and you've done all this performance, what got you thinking that you could do this monumental sculpture that is now downtown, in downtown New York? To me, that seems like the biggest leap.
0: Well, it, it kind of happened, sipping by chance. Uh, of course, you know, the African burial ground was discovered in 1991 in lower Manhattan. Um, over uh, 20,000 African and African-American slaves were buried there. And uh, it was a major discovery uh, for the city of New York, because I didn't even know they had slaves here in New York City. I mean, really? To show you? No, I didn't. Oh. I was sh- shocked. I've come to find out New York City was the second largest slave boy in the country. Yeah outside of Virginia. Mm-hmm. I had just came back from Birmingham, Alabama to bury my father in 91. I came back and read the New York Times and, uh, and had this front page article on the burial ground. Mm-hmm. So I immediately, because I had just got back from Birmingham buried my father, my, my uncle, who is 95 years old now. We were all sitting around the dinner table after, my father, after we buried my father. And he uh, came in and brought this lock to the to the family table. He said, "This lock is the lock that enslaved my great grandfather, Steve Pace, in uh, Cleekstan, Alabama." So everybody at the dinner table just dropped their mouths stopped eating and just mm-hmm. began to focus. And so my uncle, the family decided, I would be the keeper of the lock. And so I have the lock. I brought the lock back to my studio in Brooklyn. And and that when I got back and I was reading this article in the New York Times and I immediately went down to the site and began to take pictures. Jumped over the fence against the law, mm-hmm. and I felt that I had, I was like compelled to take photographs uh, mm-hmm. of the site wow. and uh, and so I didn't even know that it's going to be a, a memorial or a monument or anything to acknowledge these. And so the percent for art call artists to uh, submit proposals for uh, a, a, a monument. And so I, hey, threw my head in the ring and uh, three or four hundred artists applied wow. and they narrowed it down to five and I got to call. Um, it's not, you know, and so it was just, by a certain happenstance that I just received the lock that enslaved my great grandfather mm-hmm. and so I made a replica of the lock and buried it as a part of the monument which mm-hmm. connects my family with the enslaved population family here in New York so mm-hmm. and as a sculptor uh it just fed right into the whole essence of my work mm-hmm. uh so uh it it uh, it wasn't something that I planned or I had foreseen or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's just one of the things that happened. I mean, I just happened to get the lock, just so happened to throw my my slides into the ring, mm-hmm. and boom. It, it, that's the way it happened, you know.
1: Yeah.
0: That's how uh, the book came about. Mm-hmm. Uh, my daughter, who's 15 now, uh, she. Uh, Asked me one day, she was about eight, seven or eight. She said, "Daddy, are we from slaves?" And uh, it just shook the foundation of my being. And I said, "You know, yeah, yeah, we are." And and, uh, and so I had to figure out how can I explain our legacy to my daughter. So that's when I wrote the children's book mm-hmm. called Jelani and the Lock." Uh, Jelani is named after my son, Jelani. It talks about uh, a little boy taken from Africa, brought to the United States, put in locks and chains, and eventually got his freedom. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, the whole Abraham Lincoln story.
1: The visual for the Abraham Lincoln is pretty, pretty funny, I guess. <laughs> it's the like guy with a, the big, big hat. Big, big hat right, comes, right. big comes and tells you, you are free. <laughs> you <know? laughs>
0: And uh, so it's the African-American story. And slavery is a very difficult topic for us to talk about, even for African-Americans. It's a, it's a, it's a very soap point. We have this shame thing happening, and then we have this guilt thing happening on uh, the European side. So it's like a sore. As soon as you touch it, it begins to bleed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I think that we have to talk about it. We have to try to... Uh, I know they have a major exhibition at the... Uh, New York Historical Society on the African burial ground. The first and only exhibition in New York devoted to an African-American slave here that you should go see. I recommend that everybody in the room go see the show at the New York Historical Society. Uh, and next year they're gonna have a contemporary wing of contemporary artists showing about the whole issue of slavery in New York. Mm-hmm. I'm saying all these things just kind of, like, happen. You know, wasn't any plan or any kind of systematic process. You know, the book just kind of happened. You know, my daughter, she dropped this question on me, you know, which blew me. Mm-hmm. I mean, how can I explain this to a uh, eight-year-old?
1: But isn't, isn't it, wasn't one of the things that all of us as artists do is to sort of either pose a question or try to answer one? So in some ways, what you, it seems to me, in this particular, those, these two particular works, sort of a, the the publication and then this large monument, they both kind of try to answer a very important question about you know enslavement and and what happens afterwards. Yeah. You know, I'm the, I knew that there were slaves in New because, like a lot of writers, I'm I'm incredibly interested in history and also because of the Sojourner Truth story, Sojourner Truth was a slave before she was free, before she became a great orator and, and speaker for women 's rights and stuff, so then she was a slave in new york state so uh, so that's something that people kind of forget uh, because there's a lot of forgetting in, in this country, so yeah. the kind of work that you're talking about is is a work that that in some ways talks about memory, but is, it's sort of more than memory. yes don't yeah. you think yeah,
0: I mean. It's it's a um, it's a memory that we don't want to deal with. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just I mean, even in my own family, we never even talked about it. It's like a taboo subject. You don't bring that up, and. Uh, well,
1: isn't it? But I'll, but sometimes it's. I mean, your family knows a lot more than than mine does. I mean, I you know, I could talk to my mother and say. You know, some of our people came from South Carolina, then they came through Mississippi. I mean, they came up through Georgia and then to Mississippi. And along the way, Uh because of illiteracy, I mean, there's a Mm. whole bunch of my family in Mississippi I probably never will know because the people who kept in touch didn't know how to read and write. So if somebody had to read and write for them, Mm. and when somebody died... Mm. There went that. There went all that information. It was gone. So, uh, you know. So I mean, one of the ironies of the roots thing for me was, it just reminded me of the issue of who's privileged with information and who's not. Mm. Even within the African American community, if you are a poor person, you don't necessarily get to have all that information. If you're a little not poor, but if you're not an educated person. Mm-hmm. I mean, the idea, I mean, the whole issue of education is extremely important. And so, I mean, I know that we're talking a lot about your art and stuff, but it, it seems to me that another piece of you as an artist has to do with education. And can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Well, uh, yes, I, I uh, you know, I, I struggle with my friends a lot. I, I think art is about education. Uh, I think you have to really educate uh, as you go. I mean, I guess because I, I've been teaching for so many years, I think it's a critical part of our or broadening our minds, broadening our being, because I think art does that. Art opens you up to other ideas. I think it opens you up to other cultures, to other venues that you would not normally. Uh, be a part of. Uh, I think uh, art is, is is the essence of of, of, of life and, and culture and, and 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 being as as a as a, as a community and you mm-hmm. know, I guess that's why I've just been in edu- education for so long. Uh, hopefully, one of my students will eventually buy my work,
1: or support the <laughs> arts. You know, I mean,
0: you know, I, you know, and. Which will just be a part of the whole process of opening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. opening up the educators and, and, and the arts is, is the vital role in any culture. If you go back and look at any society, the Egyptian society, you go back to the Renaissance, so you go back to any major society, go, African societies, the arts is the essence of the people, and they talk and they tell the story of the people and uh, uh, they tell the story of our times. You see what the artists are doing today they they, they are the ones that put their finger in their pulse of what 's happening if we don 't don 't support the arts then we we are considered a dead society mm-hmm. I think and I well, think and you have to start with the students like my daughter you got to start I have to start with with educating her mm-hmm. about the arts mm-hmm. and uh, so uh, when the arts were taken out of the schools here in New York, I mean, I just felt that was a real blow to um, uh, to the supports for the arts. No, so,
1: uh, no. I, I uh, when I first came to New York, one of the people I met, and he just recently passed, was Sidney Geist. I, literally, I, I lived for about a month in Phil Glass's rehearsal loft oh, wow. on the seventh floor of 10 Bleecker <laughs> Street. I was young. I could walk up and down those stairs, boy. Uh, and Mr. Geist had a studio there. And uh, you know, and one of the ways in which you know he and many other people supported themselves was as New York City school teachers mm. at one point or another. A lot of people did that. Yeah. That, and so not only was it incredibly wonderful for the students, but obviously it kept a whole body of artists alive and and with some kind of means to have homes and, and families. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a very a huge struggle ever since for that level of support to come around again. You know, the other thing about education, and I guess I was going back to something else, is that within, say, the black community, there there's a lot about uh, education and there's a lot about uh, arts education and the work of the people you were mentioning, uh, Noah Jemison and David Hammons and... Uh, I was thinking of them, you know, the people who used to hang out at just above Midtown Gallery right. and stuff. And, and, and. Uh, Linda Good Bryant, yeah, Linda Good uh, Bryant, and Brian you know, so that you know, and I was just like, you know, I was just a hanger-on myself. Uh, but was the, the level of sophistication and uh, and 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 I, what I don't see happening uh, as much as I would love is 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 a real. Uh, a real pleasure in that level of sophistication. In a, in a more, in a, there's a lot of stuff going on that's very smart. I think right now, but I'm not too sure if it's all that sophisticated. So, and, and it may be, it just may be my own take on things. I'm not sure if you agree or disagree with well, me. Well, I
0: think I think the art, the art is always is, is indicative of its time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you regurgitate what's what you're living. Yes. Yeah, and, and so uh,
1: these are not sophisticated times.
0: <laughs> well, you got the war going on. You mm-hmm. got uh, all these uh, terrorism things happening around the world. We so, have you an know, idiot president. Line, you know, so. and you got 50 Cent saying get it rich or die.
1: And he can't act. history? <laughs> 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 Act or die. <laughs> Just please I mean, learn how so to act. so
0: you, you got to deal with your time, yeah, uh, yeah. so whether you, you like it or not. But I, I, I think, um, <laughs> but I think for education, it's very important for uh, institutions to see the artist live, mm-hmm. because the majority of the times, you when I was a student, of the artists in Chicago, we mostly talk about dead artists, and students don't get a chance to really interact and. And and and, uh, and question live artists. I mean, that's the whole point of the arts: is why are you alive, and, and to be able to interact with students as well as people that not, not necessarily in the arts, to you know see what an artist is like, visit their studio, you know question their heads: why are you make? Why are you spending so much time doing this? And uh, and I think that uh, the educational process only can nurture that mm-hmm. only can nurture that and, and I think it would give the art the students at least a, a support and that hey if you can do it I can do it mm-hmm. kind of thing you know That's true. So uh,
1: well uh, given that you just brought that up maybe we should open up this soiree to a little bit of questions from all this. look at all these people out there I know they have that gentleman in the back Oh, good lord, Uh, he just asked him if he uses found objects and if they are transformed once he uses them into something else in the installations.
0: That's the essence of my work is found objects. Uh, And uh, uh, most of my work is, uh, most of my material is eclectic material. I'm, I'm all over the place in material. I mean, I just love material. And if I see objects that I like that's in the natural state I utilized them directly into the installations. Like, mm-hmm. for instance, uh, a church bench mm-hmm. uh, that I literally taken out of the church <sighs> in Harlem and just put it directly into the installation.
1: Now, wait a minute. How did you get that bench? Oh,
0: you always got ways. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I have one question.
1: One of the pieces, the one I, I, uh, the other one I liked a lot, was the one that has the quilt Yes. on one side and, and another big piece of cloth. I'm not right, sure if it was a quilt. Right,
0: That piece is in the, uh, the permanent collection for the uh, New Jersey Arts Museum in Trenton. And on that those two pieces my mother's quilts, my mother's a quilt maker. Uh-huh. Uh, and I, th- I put directly those two pieces of quilts because I love the pattern and I don't know if people know about quilt processing. Mm-hmm. My mother was a prolific quilt maker. So you see my work directly into the center and my mother's quilts on the two wings of it. they called uh, Mary Alice Pace and Senegalese Dance because okay. I've traveled to Senegal many times and so I incorporate her quilts with the dance. You know, of mm-hmm. Senegal, West Africa. I used to take my students from Montclair State University to Senegal every year for five years and we lived directly on the, the beach in Thatch Huts. No electricity, no running water. We had to bathe in the ocean.
1: <laughs> Why Senegal? Why Senegal? Do you uh, speak French?
0: Uh, no. <laughs> can't speak a little <laughs> French and can't speak Wolof. But I have very good friends, 20 years in Senegal. And because I love to travel, I mean, I mm-hmm. just travel all over the world, every chance I get. And Senegal is a very vibrant city for the arts. Mm-hmm. You is, this see Dakar? It, is this Dakar? Dakar, okay. yes. Uh, you see it in the dress, you see it in the food, you see it in the, in the, in the, in the, in the plastic arts, you see it everywhere. And I just had, took a, a loving to it because when I go there, I feel like, hey, wow, art is everywhere.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, that's, you know, and it's the same thing in Brazil, in Bahia and... Uh, Sao Paulo, I mean, it's the same thing, you know. The arts is really in the people. And that's where the the essence of the arts is, is in the people. Okay, you have question here? Well, uh, the, the mummification process is about remembering, it's about wrapping. You know, you see the choir robes, mm-hmm. and see the faces are wrapped as a um, mummy. It's a personal piece for me, remembering my father, me growing up in the church, and seeing the ritual of dance. Every Sunday, sometimes three times a week, because it was, I had to go to church, it was an obligation. And so the mummification, to Me bridges those two the historical with Egypt as well as where I come from. You know, that's the way I incorporate that piece. You see, Jesus saves on the top, and that's I've, we have an icon in my house. Uh, my father have always had this picture of Jesus, and had Jesus saved, but underneath of it. So.
1: And the other thing the other thing to think about in terms of the churches, uh, the way the churches are set up right. too. I mean, I don't know if it was the same thing in, in Birmingham, but um, you know, there was the there was the sister side, there was the brother side, right and the middle was where the choir was yes. and the minister mm-hmm. and the band. Right. We're talking Pentecostal here folks. Right. And and so that there was a real sense of about ba- the symmetry there's all yes. this symmetry going on so it seems to me that in that wrapping things up there's also this sense of i know it's charismatic but it's also intensely reserved yes you know and yes. that that's that this level of interior mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. are going on as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. so yeah. any other questions
0: Well, I think art is a, continues the, an organic process. Mm-hmm. I, I've been over in Williamsburg for oh, about 20-some years now, and uh, I've seen the organic process move in terms of the community. Back in the 80s, the whole graffiti thing was a major aspect of the arts. Mm-hmm. So now it's a whole other thing. Uh, so I, in terms of how to bring that back, I would say the arts has to be free. Uh, and, and the artist has to make those personal decisions of how and what they're going to contribute to that process. I think that you have to allow it to keep evolving. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you look at the, you go back and look at the Renaissance, and you see where we will come from. You go back looking at African art. And you, it's an evolving process, and whether you like it or not, it's, it, mm-hmm. art has to be free. It has to be free, and uh, I don't know. Exactly how you can say put a curve on that.
1: I'm not sure I understood your question. But I, I oh I see what you think. I said, so he's sort of talking about the commercial, commercial or aspects yeah, of art right. as a, as opposed to but that's always been there and yeah. I don't think that I don't think any, I, you know anybody but, 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 but I think but, 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 but let me just finish. Go ahead. Let me just finish. I, you know, really, uh, I'm a woman like who likes to have the last word. Uh, I, I think there's always been art that's been in the marketplace that can be manipulated for whatever commercial aspects it can be that can be made to to happen. I think artists themselves have to make a choice about how they want their art to, how they want to have their art presented or used. You can either sell it. In as many ways as you possibly can, and everybody needs to eat and have a have shelter, or you can, but you can also sort of make sure that it has something to do with you as opposed to who it's being sold to. That was my. That was all. Was okay,
0: say. beautiful, and I I think that's com- completely correct. But I think we have moved toward a major commercialism. Oh yeah. Because of our society.
1: It's the age of Reagan.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I mean like the whole money thing is really, I mean, has, has gotten, and that's what I, I go back, I was talking to a friend of mine last night who's a painter, and uh, I was telling him that, uh, we were discussing about, you have to do it because you really want to do it. It's not about the money. Mm-hmm. It's not about the commercial success. It's not, it's not about me, 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 let me get my name out there and all that. It's not about that. It's, it's the essence of it. It's about what you're giving back to society and hopefully to, to enrich society, what you're saying as an artist. That goes back to the whole education and teaching process, you know, that I think each artist has a, a kind of responsibility to give back. And you give back the essence of your being. And if it's about money, well, that's school. You go with that. Of course, yeah. artists want to be acknowledged in their time where they're living. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's... For all the arts, they want to be acknowledged for what they give back to society. But I think the essence of it, and to me, that is the crux of the thing, is that you got to be real with what you're giving back to society. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I, and the commercial thing is is, is a whole nother ball game within itself. And mm-hmm. you, if, you, if you want to play into that and, and be Super millionaire uh, in the arts. I mean, it's, it's, it's okay. But I think that uh, you have to live with yourself mm-hmm. as an artist. That's the first thing, you know. Uh, is, I mean, like myself, you know, I mean, struggling around in New York for, for all these years and, you know, very little work has sold.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But that's not the issue for me, you know. I mm-hmm. mean, that's why I teach, that's why I had to go teach. It's to support my own art. Uh, if I don't get support from the art community, I support myself and support the arts. And that's when you really gets down to the very essence of this is something you really want to do. You go out and do a nine to five and support the arts and, until hopefully one day before you leave the planet, it can support you, <laughs> hopefully, before you leave, mm-hmm. you know. But yes. nine times out of 10, You know, hopefully it'll be able to support you, but, you know, that's not the issue. The issue is, what are you giving back to society, and what are you doing to nurture and help society? That's my take on it.
1: That's a pretty (laughs) good one. Well, I, all right, Uh, hold on. Two questions. Okay, uh you...
0: Well, right down the street is the African American burial ground, which is the monument. It's very important to me. It's talk about my history, but also talk about the history of this country. I try to incorporate in my work something that hopefully that my family or my father, my mother who both have gone, will be look back and say, Hey, my son, hey, you know, good job. Mm -hmm. You know? uh, that's what I see Comes through me is to is to try to represent and to be hopefully my mother and my father will be proud of what I what I've given back.
1: But what I see in your work is a real sense of the body and the body literally the body wrapped, the body unwrapped, the body dancing. Right. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of just the, the sheer physicality of the body, but it's not in the usual body shape.
0: It's true, and I love the body.
1: Well, we, we Especially women's body. Ah, oh, I got that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. All jokes uh, aside. Okay. Well, <laughs> Noah was next. Uh, this is addressed to both of i like for you to
0: respond to the way religion has gone through this transition, uh, both politically and uh, the economic aspect of the American society. Today. Oh, that's a ball of wax. <laughs> well, you you. Wanna... Yeah, go ahead. Uh,
1: well, I'm not a theologian, and I'm not an economist, and I'm not uh, a lot of things. I think I think the only thing that's new about it is this: there's more of media representations of these things. I think you know is I mean I think I got an email once from uh, Tulani Davis where she was saying this is sort of like the the third reform- reformation. We, there, there's been every few decades or so some kind of. You know, crazed um, political. You know, sort of big way in which either Protestant um, churches were changing or something else. I mean, like Barry talks about the Republican South. This the same people. They used to be Democrats forty <laughs> years ago. It's the same people, and so and and so the only I think the only big real difference is Roman Catholicism as a major uh, sort of political caste now in this country. That wasn't 100 years ago. So, but, but this, the, you know, none of, you know, this, this has been, this was a country built on sort of Protestant uh, religious ideals and ideas and action. And combining with a whole lot of capitalists, and you know some you know wonderful enlightened people, and, and a whole bunch of slave owners, and they all <laughs> kind of came together, and uh, you know, and they were all religious.
0: <laughs> right. So uh, religious than that.
1: You know. And so I, I, you know, I feel like a lot of the, everybody's playing to the media. There's uh, what really gets me is not so much the econ- economics of religion, but the economics of celebrityhood. It feels to me like this is all about celebrity. I mean, everybody, you know, I am, I'm, I am more whatever than thou, but I'm also a movie star or a president or, a, you know what I mean? So there's some kind of connection between, you know, star power, real spirituality and faux spirituality.
0: I just think that religion today has been so politicized that uh, it just has lost the essence of the meaning. This whole holy-than-thou spirit has just given religion a bad name, especially what's going on now with the war in Iraq against the two major religions, Christian and Islam, I, I just think that I well, think we are in a very difficult awful. struggle awful. right awful. now, politicizing the whole religious aspect of, of that, you know. But let's talk about the arts. I mean, I don't no. about that, well,
1: religion. it doesn't work that way, but okay. <laughs> Do you feel that Picasso was exploited African
0: art in his images of the 60s and 70s? But I think, I think art is borrowed from artists all the time. I, I don't think there's anything new because it was able to capitalize on it. And, uh, you know, but art is borrowed from icons. It's been going on for years, generations. And so, like, I borrowed things from him.
1: There you, you know,
0: go. Uh, and I think that I think that, that's, the, that's the nature of the arts. Everybody's trying to get their own thing out there, and everybody has to feel the vibe, whatever the, you know I think the whole Bocasso thing was he saw the, the the beauty of African art and uh, really uh, really say, "Wow, this is the new thing," and just took off on it.
1: You, since you have traveled a great deal and, I, and I, you know I looked, I saw all these wonderful things in your in your. You know, fabulous law. Can you know, what in the last say year or so have you seen that you feel like may wind up somewhere along the way in something new?
0: Oh wow.
1: <laughs> so I didn't ask you if you were gonna be a tree or anything like that.
0: <laughs> the reason I travel because I love nature and I love to be in nature and I love the different ethnic groups, ethnic foods, I love different ethnic cultures and uh so what you see in my work is a amalgamation of all of that. The food, the dance, the music, I play music as well, you know, uh, yeah, I'm talking about my performance pieces. Well
1: we, we started at the beginning and we <laughs> veered off into some other things, you can talk about it now, go uh, ahead.
0: Right, right. So all of that you see in my work, and, and music is a very important part of it. And I've been performing this book throughout the country for the last three years and they did a major one hour production of Jelani in Dutch, because Dutch have a major history in slavery. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just acknowledge they had a big monument built in, in Holland. Mm-hmm. So they took the book, put it in three theaters in Holland, then they took the book to Suriname, South America. I was there in uh, November of last year so I had a chance to play my flute, I play flute I, I bring the drum, you know, play the drum, bring the flute, play the shakeray music, and bring the story alive because and it's a participatory aspect because the kids or adults they become a part of the story because it 's an American story I mean because that 's where my religious aspect of Call and response come in from my church, so I read the story, with the drum, play the music, and have the audience read the story with me. So it becomes a multimedia, and I project the images on on the on the on the screen. So it becomes a three-dimensional kind of piece. Uh, live, we have to bring. Our story is alive, it's not something that's way back there. They're like right here, mm-hmm. something we can touch mm-hmm. and feel. But let's go back to the audience. Yes. Mostly in Sunday school. We got told a lot of stories. And um, my father was not a storyteller. He was was on the pulpit telling the story. And that's where I mostly got my storytelling. Uh, uh, I didn't know that I could write in terms of a book. So that that just came out of that whole process. Uh, Yes. Biblical story.
1: And who who were the people telling the stories?
0: Uh, My mom my sister, my dad, you know. uh, Mm -hmm. I'm from a family of 13. My mother had 13 children. So we uh, had a a very large uh, football team. (laughs) 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 A lot of great-grands and grandmas and grandpas, you know.
1: Your trajectory is fairly classic. You go from Birmingham to Chicago, You, you know, show promise. Somebody says, go, you know, go to the School of Art at the Art Institute of Chicago, and they take you, and you go, and you you thrive, thrive, thrive. You come here, you find people, and I think you've had really good teachers. So I wanted to know who were some of the teachers you had besides your family and beside your peers.
0: Well, that was one professor at the Art Institute of Chicago, Jim Zanzi. He's a sculptor. And the first, my first day in, in, in class, Jim comes in, introduces himself, gives us gave a little spiel about the school, about what he expected students to do. And uh, he walks out and never shows back up again. What, what you <laughs> He said, okay, you say you wanna be a student, you wanna learn, you know? Get, here's all the materials, here's everything you need. Get in there and make some art. Wow. That was the most major impression of me that I've had <laughs> as a student.
1: <laughs>
0: you just heard painter and sculptor Lorenzo Pace, interviewed by poet Patricia Spears-Jones. For streaming video, web-exclusive interviews, and more, check out Bombsite dot com